Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. We are so happy you're here with us this morning as the children are coming in. Go ahead and let's stand and get ready to worship this morning. Today as we worship, let's position our hearts to a new surrender this morning, to see a new beauty of Jesus, to become more desperate for him. Let's sing a song of worship, a song of surrender this morning. We just want to give it all to you today, Jesus, not just today, but tomorrow and for life and eternity. We just love you so much, Jesus. We're so happy to be here to praise you and give you the honor you deserve. for 
If it means that they'll reject me, Lord, I'll still obey. Cause here I am, Lord, send me. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. 
I am very nervous. I haven't done this in a while. Um, please have a seat. Uh, Kids Life, if you'd like to go have fun or listen to me talk, it's up to your boss. You're going to stay? You're going to stay. You guys want to hear some announcements? Yeah. Hunker down. There's a storm brewing. All right. Not really. So I just have a couple announcements. Um, this Thursday will be our first Thursday of the month. And we have, for this whole year, been doing a first Thursday gathering. So please join us at 6 p.m. this Thursday, August 3rd, uh, for our, it's our potluck gathering. We will have uh, a time for worship, worship music, and, uh, and also a lesson. So um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm often kind of very busy and distracted uh, on Sundays. And I don't really get to talk to any of you or really get to know you too well unless we do rooted together uh, but um, it's a great time for us to get together try each other's food and worship God amen thank you um, and next week we're going to have a, a marriage moment so uh, Pastor Andy's putting on um, I don't even know what to call it because he called it a moment is that a seminar is it a class it's a class an experience um, next Tuesday August 8th at 6 p.m. I'm sorry we won't have any child care available so if you can get, book your babysitters now and join us uh, for some good biblical teachings on marriage next Tuesday August 8th this Thursday August 3rd both at 6 p.m. all right that's it for the announcements uh, i just like to pray over our tithes and offerings right now. Heavenly Father, you have seen so many of our, our ancestors through uh, hard financial times and then good financial times. And Lord, uh, who knows what we're in right now. Financially, things are bubbling up and it affects us and it causes fear um, and, a, and a bit of anxiety. So Lord, I must be reminded that I will lean on you and I cannot serve two masters. I serve you, Father God. I do not serve money. I will not be anxious about it. And I give my tithe and my offering to you in full faith that you care for me and the state of the world does not. We love you, Lord. Please accept these tithes and offerings, our acts of faith and our acts of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> the boys and girls can be dismissed. Let's stand for a minute and turn to somebody near you and just greet them, tell them you're glad to see them here today.
Thank you. You may be seated. You can have more fun just like this right after church and keep talking to people. Pastor Andy is a bit under the weather, and we don't want to catch the bug he has this morning. So I'm here this morning to fill in for him. And, um, <laughs> and so we, we need a lot of patience from me today, and, uh, but I think God has something for us. Um, can you tell that I got a haircut recently? Yeah, it, it was shorter than I wanted it, but I guess the barber thought it's summer. We need to put it really short. Actually, I was at the barber with somebody from church, another guy. So it was like bro time at the barber, getting a haircut together. Actually, we just happened to meet there, happened to be there at the same time. Uh, but, but anyway, that, that, was, that was a little fun. I hope that you've been having a good summer this summer. And I think that fair is starting soon, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So that'll be a fun time too. Uh, what I have for you today is just something that I have been studying, meditating on in God's word and uh, praying about recently. So I just wanna share with you what God's been sharing in my heart in the moment. And I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians together. So let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We know that you always are where your people are gathered together. And Holy Spirit, I thank you because you have a beautiful way of always speaking to our hearts through your word. And you make it very personal to us. And that's what is so important because you know what each of us need, you know what we need to hear, you know what we need to absorb and to take away. And I pray that we would be built up, strengthened by your word today and ministered to by you, Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. 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 I'd like to begin in Ephesians chapter three, verses one through six, and you'll have to give a lot of grace to the people up stairs because, um, you know, the scriptures and slides and everything were last minute for them. It's all going to work out. Don't worry. So in Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, to the believers there. He has been there. He helped establish the church in that city. So he knows the believers, but now he's a prisoner in Rome and he's writing them a letter and he's writing them a letter as a prisoner. And I think that you have to understand a special heart that he might have knowing that he is imprisoned for the gospel, but there are people that he dearly loved that he has invested his life into. His life is all about the kingdom of God and he wants to nurture it and to help it to grow as much as he can. Even though he can't be there in person, he will send a letter in order to help the believers to grow. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul starts by saying that God gave him a gift. And the gift that God gave the Apostle Paul was the gift to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And he was an unlikely person to be chosen to preach the good news to Gentile people. He's not, he's not a Gentile, he's Jewish. He calls this, and by the way, to the Jewish people, anybody who wasn't Jewish is a Gentile. You're a non-Jew, you're a Gentile. So it was Paul who's saying, I'm Jewish, but God has given me a gift to preach the good news, the truth of Jesus to all the Gentiles. And he says that this is a mystery in Christ that has been revealed to him. And that this mystery was shown to him by revelation directly from God through the Holy Spirit. And let me just talk to you a little bit about revelation. A revelation is God opening our eyes, your eyes, my eyes, to a truth that we've not fully understood before. And I'm sure that has happened to you. That either through reading the Bible, through praying, through listening to teachers, that your eyes were opened to something that you haven't seen before in God's word or in God's kingdom. Now, it is also God opening a door so that you can see what's hidden in that room beyond that door out of your sight. And so there are many things in God that are hidden from our sight, but God through revelation opens the door for us and suddenly we begin to see and understand something like we've never understood it before. And revelation also has that component of God touching your heart to accept what he's showing you. So it's not just that he's showing you information. He's showing you something that he wants you to see and understand, but he's also preparing your heart to accept what he's trying to show you and help you to see. And in that way, sometimes God needs to massage your heart a little bit so that you will accept it because some of us are stubborn or hard-headed and we don't really get what God is trying to really get into our hearts and into our spirit. So he has to massage our hearts. And some of you are in that process right now. God has been speaking to you about something. You're a little bit questioning that or challenging it even. So, but God keeps massaging your heart, bringing the same message to you because he wants you to get it. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to put aside all of the things, all the excuses, all of the barriers that you have to truly getting what he's trying to get you to see and understand. He had to do the same thing to the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of barriers to, to jump over before he could understand that God had called him to the Gentiles. Because he, of all people, was a person who was staunchly religious and had a different kind of life. Um, in fact, he had a life that was very prideful. And many times pride stands in the way of us getting more insight and revelation from God. If you think you know it all, then you've stopped learning from God. But we can't really 
really be there. We can't be in that place and think we know it all. And the more learning that you get, and sometimes even the professional learning, the more prideful you get and the, the, you think you know it all. I can think of a time, and I don't want to go into it too much, but I was on a missionary trip with some other people from different parts of the world, and we were just Bible students, and we had gone to different Bible schools in different parts of the country. And at one point, I was sitting across the table from somebody from New Zealand, and we started arguing about something. And then as we started arguing about this biblical thing, uh, I began trying to defend it like, well, I have really good teachers where I come from. And then she said, I have really good teachers where I come from. And the uh, thing is, why, why are we arguing like that? You see, when you think you know it all, then you're not a learner. But our attitude ought to be, you know, maybe someone has some insight that I don't have that I need to hear. And we can't have the kind of pride that stands in the way of that. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And you'll only learn from the Holy Spirit if you are humble enough to say to yourself, I don't know at all. I have a lot of questions. And Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me. And I need you to teach me. And I need you to show me what I don't know. In fact, I need you to show me what it really is that I don't know so that I could seek it out. And I love approaching God that way, of going to him with what I don't know and saying, I need to know this better. So one of the things, for example, that I've come to God is that I know God is a miracle-working God and that God heals. But I don't think we see as much healing as we ought to see. So I'm questioning God and I'm saying, there's something I don't know, because there's a lot of things I do know. And I've even written it down before saying, well, this is what God's word says about this subject. This is the promise. This is the provision through Jesus Christ on the cross. I've laid it all out. But then I say to myself, but I'm not seeing what I think I should see. I think I'm only seeing the tip of the iceberg, but there's so much more. So how do we unlock that, God? How do we unlock all of the provision that you have for us so that we could have everything that you promised for us. So we need to have that attitude of knowing what you don't know so that you can be a seeker of God and that you can be humble before God. Now, Paul's name used to be Saul. And he preferred to be called Paul later. Now, Saul means desired, as in a person who was sought after. I think Paul wanted to be a center of attention when he went to the best teachers that the Hebrews had. And he became a biblical scholar, so to speak. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he calls himself, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, he elevated himself to what he thought of himself and his learning. And he probably wanted to be a great teacher of himself. And he was so zealous he was a defender of his, the faith, persecuting the Christians. But Paul means little or small. And after he met Jesus, he preferred his name to be Paul. He preferred to be humble instead of being prideful. And I think that speaks of the change of his heart. I think you know the story of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts, chapter 9. In that story of his conversion, Paul, as I said, 
just a moment ago, was a defender of the Hebrew faith, didn't like the Christians, didn't like that Jewish people were now followers of Jesus. He thought that they were going against the law, that this was a cult of some kind, that they were spewing out lies, that they were saying Jesus was the Messiah, and he wanted to exterminate Christians, not just argue against them to show that they were wrong. He chased them down, hunting them down city to city, putting them in prison, causing many of them to die horrible deaths for blasphemy. This he took upon himself as his job. He even had authority from the high priests to do what he was doing. So he felt really highly about himself, like he was the marshal defending the, the faith, the law of Moses, and he could go anywhere he wanted to with those letters and persecute anybody that was against him or was a follower of Jesus. But one day when he was on the road to Damascus to do that very thing in that city, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the Bible tells us that the men traveling with Saul heard the voice, but they didn't see anything. So this was a, a profound impact upon Saul because he was struck blind by the presence of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on this road to Damascus and gave him a very serious question. I mean, I can just imagine that it was the kind of thing where Jesus is pointing at him saying, why are you persecuting me? And then he's saying, who are you? Who, who am I persecuting? And he said, get up and go into the city and I'm going to show you what to do. So he's a blind man being led by people into a city where he was going to imprison Christians, but now he's blind. He's heard a voice of God. He knows it's the Lord. And in the meanwhile, in the background, God is speaking to an everyday disciple named Ananias. He's just a worker. He lives in that city. He has a job that he works for, but he's a believer in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him, and he, he is told that a man, he's to go to a man, and he's to give him a very special message. In verse 10, it says, in Damascus, there is a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, is that a very specific vision or not? But notice the difference. The Lord speaks to Saul and he says, who are you? And the Lord speaks to Ananias and he simply in obedience says, yes, Lord. What do you want me to do? And the Lord tells them specifically who to go to, where he is, on what street address. And he says that you'll meet a man named Saul, for he is praying. Oh, so we get insight into what's happening in Saul's heart now. 
He's been shaken by what he thought he knew and what he thought he believed. And God is speaking to him and he's praying. And as he's praying, he's pouring out his heart to God and God is pouring his heart into him. And it says, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Saul is getting more visions, not just the vision that he had on the road to Damascus where he was blinded. But he had another vision while he's praying that a man would come to him and lay hands on him and restore his sight. So he's prepared for somebody to come. God is orchestrating all of this. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. God, in a nutshell, was telling Ananias the whole calling that he would have upon this man's life. He will proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went and laid hands on him and gave him the message and he restored his sight. And then he rose up, Saul rose up and was baptized to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know how many days transpired. It must not have been very many. But here was a man staunchly persecuting Christians, not believing in Jesus. And now he's being baptized as a follower of Jesus. That's a change of heart, right? That's a supernatural experience that God has. God changes people supernaturally. The apostle Paul, who was very learned, was not argued into believing in Jesus by Ananias. Can you see that? Can you understand that? It wasn't it wasn't intellectual knowledge that made Paul a follower of Jesus. No one proved to him from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. He saw Jesus. He spoke with Jesus. He had visions of Jesus. And a lowly man who was just a disciple, not a pastor, not an apostle, not a rabbi, just a follower of Jesus, obeyed Jesus and went laid hands on him. He was just an obedient person. But God did the work in Saul's heart. Who are you praying for that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus and know Jesus in their life? Pray that Jesus would reveal himself to them. Pray that the barriers of their heart would be knocked down so that Jesus could come in and speak to them. You know, sometimes when people are at their lowest, that's when all of their walls of resistance to anything come tumbling down. And that's when Jesus begins to speak into their lives. We don't pray that people get to those places where they're the lowest of the low, but we do pray that if they do, they'll hear God. So that God will speak to their lives and they'll begin to see what they've not seen before. 
this is the transformation that's happening in Paul's life. And going back to Ephesians chapter 3, when he says the mystery that is through the gospel, the Gentiles, let me read that. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are also heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together of the promise of Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 3, 6. So the first part of the revelation that Saul had was just to simply understand Jesus is the Messiah. The reason I'm telling you this is because revelation many times needs to unfold before us. It doesn't happen all at once. Our understanding isn't like snap and we have it. God introduces something to us. We wrestle with it. He massages our heart. He gives us understanding. We accept it. And then he says, now you're ready for page two. So he flips the page and says, now that you realize Jesus is the Messiah, I want to show you something, Paul. I want to show you that a, a mystery that you've not understood. And this mystery is that the gospel of the Messiah Jesus isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. I can just see his mouth dropping open. What? They don't have Moses. They don't have the law. They don't have the history. They don't have the culture. They don't have the scriptures. Yes. He's their savior too. They are members together, Gentiles and Israel, members together of one body. Not two bodies, one body. And shares together the promise in Jesus Christ. So that's the second step of his revelation. This is for everybody. So now he knows the Gentiles need to hear this too. Not just the Jews. The Gentiles need to hear this. That Jesus is for them. He's their savior. He's come for them. He's come to transform their lives in the same way that he's transformed my life. So getting that understanding, in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm just going to read um, some scriptures of this, uh, from this chapter. Beginning in verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So he says, I became a servant to telling the Gentiles of, of the gospel because God gave me a special grace to do that. God gave me a special gift to do that. Though I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And he speaks this way kind of in amazement to himself. Right? I don't, I don't have any background to talk to Gentile peoples. I am steeped in Hebrew culture. Yet God called me to the Gentiles and he gave me a grace to somehow reach them, to reach their hearts. You know, I want to address too, when, now that we've been talking about you praying for people who need Jesus, pray that God sends someone to them that they will listen to. Someone who has a grace to speak into their lives. If they won't listen to you, or other close people who are believers, pray 
that God would send someone they would listen to. Someone who has a special grace or gift to speak into their lives and that they will open up their hearts to that person and that person can share Jesus with them. He goes on to say here, when he talks about God gave him a grace to preach to the Gentiles, he said, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Now we talked about that mystery, and that is Jews and Gentiles together, one body and Jesus, Jesus the savior of the whole world. But he also says in verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We don't have time to talk about this. This is one of those other things that God needs to challenge us by opening our eyes to revelation so that we could see something, so that we're not just sheep following a shepherd, which we are and we should, but we are the church. We are his body on earth. We have authority as Christians. And when it says here, through the church, that we would show the manifold wisdom of God and make it known, not to people, it doesn't say people, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. So here's just a brief window into that. Jesus once said, you can't take a house, take control of a house, unless you control the strong man of the house. Now, he was talking about casting out demons from a person, which that makes sense. But on a wider scale, he's showing us as believers that we're part of a kingdom, and a kingdom that has authority. Have you ever walked into a house, perhaps of people you know, and you could cut the tension with a knife because there's an argument going on or something's going on, in that house, and what did you do about it? Did you know that sometimes the enemy plays upon people's struggles to bring strife and turmoil and confusion, and it's the enemy's work. And if we recognize that sometimes, we can walk into a situation like that and under our breath say a prayer that takes authority over that and say, we bind you, Satan, and all the confusion you're bringing to this house in this moment. You don't have any power here any longer. I proclaim that Jesus will take over this situation. Do you see what you're doing? You're not just experiencing the situation. You are acting as an agent of the kingdom, and you're stepping forward to take authority over what is taking place. We don't have time to get into it that much more. Verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So he told them, it shouldn't be a point of discouragement for you that I, a person who has been your teacher, your pastor, I'm now in chains, and I'm a prisoner. We're really getting to the good part here. Verse 14, 
He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. First of all, he says he kneels. Why do Christians kneel when they pray? We kneel because we show humility before God. We set aside any pridefulness and we try to show humility before God when we kneel. We also kneel because we want to show our submission to God, that he's an authority over us and we're in submission to him, so we kneel. Now, not everybody can kneel physically. Some people have bad knees. And it's really tough as you get older to kneel and to get up. Well, you can kneel, you can't ever get up. But it's about the heart, isn't it? Because we can't always kneel physically, but we should have the same heart. The heart that says, my heart is kneeling before you. I am humbling myself before you, Lord. I'm submitting myself to you. And that's really what it's all about. We know religions where people kneel out of ritual. This isn't a ritual. This is about the heart, right? when he says, I kneel before the Father. But then an amazing thing is that the Apostle Paul has, a, has another revelation that he's received in that God is a Father. God is a Father. That's a beautiful revelation for everybody to learn that God is a Father and that we are his sons and daughters. The Jewish people really for hundreds of years did not focus on God being a Father. He was a supreme authority, but you don't read any ancient Hebrew prayers that talk to him about God as a father. In fact, they've preserved the ancient Hebrew prayers, and they pray them today. And they start off with words like, Blessed art thou, O God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the earth. That's a blessing how they begin a blessing for food that they've received. But do you see how they approach God? King of the universe, creator of the food. But the apostle Paul says, we kneel before the, a father. We kneel before a father. Yes, he's the creator. Yes, he's the king of the universe. But he's a father. When you understand that he's your father, you'll approach him differently. It says that we kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Who are we? Where do we get our identity? We get our identity because we are sons and daughters of God. Now, we, just as everyday people, we get our identity for the most part from what we do. You're a teacher, you're a mill worker, you're a janitor, you're a fisherman, a carpenter, a logger, an office worker, a cook, a realtor, or even what we do for God, a Sunday school teacher, a youth worker, a Bible teacher, a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist, an intercessor. But that's not your true identity. That's what you do. That's how you're serving. That's how you're making a living. But how you're making a living is not who you are. Because one day, hopefully, cross both your fingers, you'll retire, right? And you won't be doing all of that stuff. That's not your identity anymore. So you really were someone else. 
Someone else that you have to discover when you retire. Who are you really? Well, in Jesus, your identity is that you're a true son or daughter of God. You are a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul had to learn it. We have to learn it. He had to teach the Gentiles that they have a father in God. You know, I spent 10 years doing jail ministry in the Clatsop County Jail, meeting with prisoners in the library, holding a Bible study with them. And when I did that, there were a lot of men, mostly men, who came into that Bible study just because they wanted to get out of their cells, right? Something different to do. So they didn't, weren't really interested in God. They just wanted to get out. And um, sometimes they caused a little bit of trouble in that library. And I had to tell them, are you here to listen? Or shall I call a guard? And at that point, they shut right up, stayed right in their seat, <laughs> started listening. I used a little bit of authority there. <laughs> but there are a lot of people who are there to really hear from God. Because it's a time in their life when you're in jail where you do need to make a change, right? Make a change. And that's what I try to encourage them. If you go to the jail 10 years in a row, you see people over and over again cycling through the jail. And so what I would tell them is, if you want a different life, you're going to have to do something different because this is what's happening to you. You leave here, you do the same thing you did before, and then you're right back in jail. You're not changing anything. But God can change your life, and God can help you to live differently, but you need to surrender to him. You can't do it in your own willpower. You've tried. It doesn't work. You can't do it on your own. But the point I'm making by talking about uh, the prisoners is that this is just a correlation to God being father, the most reaction I ever had from guys in that jail that brought them to tears is when I taught them that God is their father. And they would say, we've heard a lot of Bible lessons, a lot of sermons. Nobody ever told us that God's our father. And they were crying, tears coming down their eyes. Nobody ever taught me that God was my father. You see, it's important to understand that we're sons and daughters of God. It changes everything to approach God as a father and not just a God we serve, not just as a servant, but a son. If we just view ourselves as servants, then it's all about performance-based living or ministry. Right now, my job at work, I work for government, has a little bit of pressure. It's changed a little. And there's a lot of performing that I need to do now. I need to meet benchmarks. I need to do what the higher bosses want. And there's a lot of performance-based stuff, and I don't like it. 
<laughs> I'm griping now. Because really, I don't enjoy my job that much when it's just performance-based, right? I'd rather naturally just do things to help and serve and do my job. But it's the same in the church. If we see our lives as performance-based, we'll always see ourselves as missing the mark. That we're not a very good Christian, that we fail a lot, that we, we sin, we fall, we don't do things right, we miss opportunities to tell people about Jesus. We just focus on everything that we're doing wrong. But we should focus on who we are and who we need to help us to be who we are, and that's the Holy Spirit. So your identity is not your language, your culture, your color, your nationality, your job. Your identity is who you are in God, something that will last through all eternity, not just this lifetime. You're a son and daughter of God. You will be that till you die, and you will be that in eternity, a son and daughter of God. You'll not be the other things after you die. Start living your eternal life now. So then it goes on to say, I pray. So this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I, so I want to stop there for a second. He's praying that we be strengthened in our inner selves through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that we can't live the Christian life in our own power. We still have a sin nature. We're human beings and we're imperfect. We can't do things perfectly. We can't do this life in our own power. You can't follow Jesus just by willpower you need the strength of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you, the strength God has given you to live this life. You need to know when to pray also, Lord, strengthen me and help me. I'm struggling here. You need to know who to reach out to, who your lifeline is, who to call all the time. Call upon God and remember that he's given you the Holy Spirit within you. You're not alone. He sent a helper to be inside of you, to help you to live this life, to be a teacher, to show you how it's done. But you need to submit to your teacher. You need to ask for his help. And you need to follow the directions that he gives you in his word. But it says that, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? I just love that sentence. I pray that you would grasp. That, that means that you would fully understand, 100% get it, that God loves you, and his love is high, it is deep, and it is wide. And I want you to know the fullness of that love that he has for you. And he says that you need to be rooted in it. 
You know, if we're going to do anything for God in this world, if we're going to be his ministers, if he shows us our identity as sons and daughters, then we're going to do something for him like the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul learned that he's a son, but he also learned what God had called him to do. But that has to be rooted in love. We need to learn love first. We can't minister to people we don't love. In order for grace to be given to the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he had to love them. God had to take down the barriers of him being too prideful to love Gentiles. But who are we too prideful to minister to? It wasn't that long ago that our family lost a loved one. My daughter-in-law's mother, her name is Kathy. She passed away from cancer. And Kathy was close to our family. We spent all the holidays together because of course her one and only child, her daughter is married to our son and didn't want to be a part on the holidays, so she was just with us on the holidays, right? So she was became a part of our family. And Kathy's a beautiful believer in Jesus, and God gave her a passion. And God gave her a passion for the homeless. Now, not everybody has a passion for the homeless, and not everybody has grace to minister to the homeless, but she did. And she questioned every believer that passed up a homeless person and didn't do something for them, even to kindly talk to them. She says, why don't you do that? I thought all Christians did that. Right? That's where her heart was. Because God gave her the compassion and the love for the homeless people. So she joined, she lives in, in the Portland, Vancouver area, she joined the rescue mission board because she knows they minister to the, the homeless. And first thing, as she's a board member, she says, what's your one-year plan? What's your five-year plan? And they said, we don't, we don't have a one-year plan. We don't have a five-year plan. And so she used her administrative talents to get that mission in order so that they could really minister to people the best to the best of their ability. And at her memorial service, the rescue mission people were there to tell us, Kathy set us straight, but she got us on the right path to doing everything right for the homeless. You know, Kathy knew would go down to the soup kitchens and serve, and she knew everybody by name. And if she needed to bribe someone to get, come in and to get a meal, She's not a smoker, but she'd go to the store and buy cigarettes and hand them out and say, I'll give you a cigarette if you'll come in and eat and sit and talk. If somebody didn't have good shoes, she'll say, what size are you? And she'd go and she'd buy them shoes. She'd bring them the next time for them. I'm telling you this story because Kathy started somewhere. She got a hold of a passion and she shared Jesus through it. She didn't teach Bible classes. She wasn't a preacher.
She loved and appreciated her neighbors and talked to them, but her passion was for the homeless. And so she left her lovely neighborhood and her beautiful house to go down to the streets and spend time with them. But she made a difference. I have another friend. He lives in Napa. And first he was just a coach because his kids are in sports. And he just tried to encourage as a coach the other kids and just be a good example of a Christian man to them. And then he was a sponsor in their Bible club at school and he tried to gather Christians and to encourage them. And then he started a youth meeting in his own home so that the community youth had a place to go and that he could teach them about Jesus and that they could just have a safe place to be together and just to be young people. And then God put on his heart to become a pastor and to start a church, which he has done. You see, his passion started just by being a good man, a coach to young people. And then God began to open the revelation from the book that he had of the plan for his life, just like the Apostle Paul, and kept turning the pages, leading him down the path to where he is today. What's your calling? A lot of people would say they don't know what their calling is. But I want you to know you do know, but you don't know it. I don't know how to say that. You do know, but you don't realize that you know what your calling is. Because God's calling is all about a passion he's already given to you. A love that he's already given to you for a certain segment of society or people or person. And so just follow the love. Follow the love and follow the passion and do something don't just, don't just be paralyzed saying, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a pastor, I'm not gifted with this, I'm not gifted with that. The Holy Spirit will give you everything you need because as the Bible says, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He'll give you everything, but you just need your eyes open to see that he's put it in your heart already. He's given you a passion and a desire and just start somewhere, do something small, do something little, but watch him keep turning the pages of Revelation, opening your eyes, showing you who you are and what he has for you. I need to finish this prayer. I'm going to read the good part again. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide. How long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It all starts with love. It all starts with understanding God's love. And then he ends the prayer by saying, Now to him, that's God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. He can do more than we can ask 
or imagine, not by some power working outside of us, but through the power at work in us. That's the Holy Spirit. He can do more than you can ask or imagine through your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He said it, didn't he? Throughout all generations. He spoke this 2,000 years ago. But this is for our generation too. Forever and ever, amen. But who did he say gets the glory? To God be the glory. When we give God the glory, we give him the credit, and we worship him for what he's done. So we take the focus off of ourselves. That's not a false humility, because we know we didn't do it. God did it. So we can't take the credit. God takes the credit. And we need to give him the glory. So we could say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me an opportunity to speak to so-and-so, and and I know that you will help my words to be like seed planted in their hearts. I thank you that you helped me to be a small part of what you're doing in their lives. You're giving him the glory for what he's done. Let's stand together. There's a phrase that echoes in my mind this morning. And it's, who do you think you are? But I want to turn it another way. Do you realize who you are? Do you realize the riches, the treasure that has been put in you? The inheritance that is yours by being called into his family and being a son and daughter of the Father being put here on this earth in this generation you don't have it harder or have it easier than others this is your experience he's given you everything you need to live in the world that we live in today that is so quickly changing and all the new challenges that are coming before us he already has a plan but he wants you to be a part of it And he wants you to ask for wisdom, understanding, faith, and grace to carry out his plan. And if each of you will do your part, then together as a body, we'll be doing so much for his kingdom. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for speaking through your word and through this prayer, which just gives us so much faith to look to you with different eyes and to walk in your light and in your power every single day. Help each of us today to walk out of this building and into the world that you send us to, knowing that the light of Jesus shines in us and that the darkness begins to hide wherever we go because your power dwells in us. Lord, we can't sit on our hands any longer. 
Shake us out of our complacency. Help us to see, Lord, you have a beautiful plan that you planned from the very beginning for us. Give us revelation. Open up our eyes. Massage our hearts. And if we object, don't give up on us. Keep speaking to us. Keep showing us what you want us to do. Because really deep down in our hearts, Father, we want to do it. We want to live for you. We want to make a difference. And we need you. We need the Holy Spirit in order to do it. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about you. And we just want to take a moment right now to thank you and to give you glory for everything you've done in our lives up to this point. Oh, how lost we would be without the grace that you showed us. How can we ever thank you for doing so much for us, for giving us so much? I'm going to stop speaking, and I just want you to say your own prayer right there where you're standing or at the altar. It doesn't matter. Just say your own prayer. You need to respond to what God has spoken to you through his word today, and we're just going to take a moment for you to do that. Jesus, teach us to love with your love. Amen. Are you all good? <laughs> Be filled with the joy of Jesus. His joy comes from being who you are, not what you do. Have a good week. God bless you. Remember,